Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Today's episode is brought to you by The Road of Shadows, a mystery and suspense audio drama about a man who finds himself on the run in a small town in the mountains, pursued by mysterious creatures that only he can see. This is a highly immersive experience with an emphasis on mood and atmosphere. Feel yourself transported back to 1984 through music and sound that will take you to the streets of a small town deep in the mountains surrounded by mystery. You can learn more about The Road of Shadows at theroadofshadows.com. Find and listen to The Road of Shadows anywhere you listen to podcasts. Our thanks to The Road of Shadows for their support. Hey, Eleanor here. Welcome back. Thanks for your patience during our mid-season break. We are now prepped and ready to release the second half of the season between now and September, and we are so excited to share it with you. But I have a favor to ask you today. We are running a survey of our listeners. This helps us know who you are and how you listen. Sometimes making a podcast feels like shouting into the void, but... I know that we're not. We're talking to you, and you're a real person with a life and a perspective, and we want to know who you are. So to fill out the survey, you can go to fableandfolly.com slash survey. We'll also post this on our various social media, so you can find it there. But again, that survey is at fableandfolly.com slash survey. Got that? fableandfolly.com slash survey. And thank you for sharing a little bit about yourself with us. Now the first machine reaches the shore. He stands watching, looking over the city. Steel cowlish head is even with the skyscrapers. He waits for the others. They rise like a line of new towers on the city's west side. Now they're lifting their metal hands. This is the end now. Smoke comes out, black smoke drifting over the city. People in the streets see it now. They're running toward the East River, thousands of them, dropping in like rats. Now the smoke's spreading faster. It's reached Times Square. People are trying to run away from it, but it's no use. They, they're falling like flies. Now the smoke's crossing 6th Avenue. 5th Avenue. A uh, hundred yards away. It's, it's 50 feet.
calling CQ. 2X2L calling CQ. 2X2L calling CQ, New York. Isn't there anyone on the air? Isn't there anyone on the air? Isn't there anyone? 2X2L. Quiet. It's supposed to. Surely not for this long. Shh. You cannot possibly tell me the story ends there, Abby. You cannot. We're just about to enter Act Two. It's building tension, creating realism. Silence is an underutilized tool in the field of. Okay, this is too long. The wireless is out. Look at that Wi-Fi symbol. Damn. Quite. Funny how quickly we get used to our conveniences. For so much of human history, we didn't even have indoor toilets, and now the moment we lose connection with the internet, it feels like the prehistoric era. A claustrophobia of the imagination. Are you going to... to bring it up on your telephone? Of course. Sorry. One second. Damn, the power. Could be a flickle. Or not. Whatever took out the power has also upset the cell towers. We are internetless. What time does the experiment start? Oh, this is part of it. War of the Worlds? Or are we talking a social experiment? A social? No. We are reviewing the available literature as to the possibility of space aliens, such as it is. Is that what you're looking for? Signs of extraterrestrial life in Omega Centauri? We are looking for whatever we may find. Which means we need to find some light source first, so nobody trips over the telescope. There's a paradox here. Hunting for illumination without illumination of our own. Cell phone flashlight. Still not ideal, obviously. Do you know if Rudy kept anything here? Lanterns in case of a blackout? Telescopes are designed to operate in the dark. People are not. Let's make sure we're all being safe for your date with the telescope that killed you. True. And I keep telling you, it can't kill me again. Yes, you do keep telling me. Abby, please do not take this the wrong way. But why are you here? And not existentially. In the observatory. For one thing, assuming anything happens tonight, it will be something that has never happened before. Living history. For one thing? Yes. Implying there are others? Yes. You must know I'm going to have follow-up questions. Let's not underestimate the Fenwood house doors have stopped taking you where you want to go factor. There are still many other places you could be right now. Sunrise is closed. D'Souza's is closed. Hunter's is haunted. The observatory is haunted. By me. I think I'll take my chances. I could blink out and check the house for... Oh dear. The whole machine needs recalibrating. You can tell from here. It's off. We were so careful not to touch it during our... Hmm. Our rampage with the sledgehammer? That. There are a number of other possibilities. It might have simply drifted out of alignment. Hold up the light here. I might be of more use searching for a better flashlight. You can when I'm done with my telescope. In the meantime, you still have yet to explain why you're here. You're right. I do. I'll say this much. Listening in the observatory really does add something to the ambiance of War of the Worlds. It is surprisingly convincing. Right? Despite, I mean, Dr. Peltham told me of the Viking probes of the 1970s. There haven't been favorable conditions for life on Mars in four billion years. It must have made for alarming listening at the time, though. So, 
Why are you? There are stories that millions of people believed aliens actually were on the way and panicked, if that's relevant data. Really? However, as is often the case, reports vary. Some say the notion of widespread hysteria was whipped up by a jealous newspaper industry, quick to discredit radio as a legitimate source of news and entertainment. How's the telescope coming along? I still have some minor adjustments, but I'll need to make those anyway to focus on the precise. So I can stop holding my phone over my head? You may. Come on, Rudy. In all your travels, you must have picked up some kind of emergency lighting. But back to- The panic. Right. I think it's pretty unlikely. The program was scheduled against an extremely popular ventriloquist act. Almost nobody was tuned in to. That wasn't what I was... A ventriloquist? Yes. On the radio? I said what I said. So, simply a series of voices? I've never been able to pin that down. Personally, I find it hard to imagine aliens stooping to bother with us. But not hard to imagine aliens? Abby, do you believe in extraterrestrial life? For science? Of science. You know, these sorts of anecdotal surveys are the bread and butter of what you would call the softer disciplines. What is that charming modern expression? Quit while you're ahead. I believe that people claiming first-hand experience with abduction are always lying. And obviously, anyone arguing that aliens built the pyramids has many problems, not the least of which... Do people say that? About the pyramids? Everything has been said at some point. It certainly tracks better than the existence of... Me. No offense. None taken. I am tremendously unlikely. Was the Drake equation in play when you were alive? Not that I'm aware of. And people do not sneak into the town's most abandoned building to discuss mathematics. Unfortunately. Write it on the board. Let's see. Can you hold this a sec? Of course. Well, the Drake equation suggests, basically, that you estimate how many stars there are in the universe, how many have planets, how many have planets that might support life, the likelihood of life arising on one of those planets, the likelihood that life could arise and last long enough to successfully contact us without wiping itself out, some other factors that I could tell you if my phone was connected to the outside world, and you plug in all these variables and get the probability of us getting to talk to aliens. How on earth would you calculate the probability of life arising on a given planet? How would you reduce to a number range the length of time a civilization might flourish? Not my field of study. Phone, please. It doesn't sound like maths. It sounds like hope, with the lightest dusting of maths flavoring. You're not wrong. The equation is faulty. The equation is not an equation at all. One might as well say, take the time two people spend together, multiplied by degree of personal compatibility, plus honesty quotient, let's say, comfort at sharing uncomfortable truths, divided by the time two people have known each other, and you can find the friendship coefficient, which you can plug into the relationship arithmetic. It's not rational analysis, it's a short story. A misleadingly named thought experiment. All of that said, when it comes to trying to suss out the likelihood of extraterrestrial life, I don't know what you'd plug in to get zero. Do you believe in...? Oh yes. Really? The notion of looking around something vast as the universe and stating unequivocally that we are the only possible beings with life, with science and consciousness and art, it all feels rather... Arrogant. Colonial. Of course. And seeing the capacity for strangeness on this planet, I find it likely that equally strange and wonderful things have happened elsewhere. Aliens seem more likely to me than ghosts, and I say that as an echo. It's... Nope. Just lightning. The power will likely be out for some time. We truly did stop at the worst possible place to leave off. But you... 
I picked this particular story partly because H.G. Wells was writing while you were alive. I thought you might have a sense of the ending. We used to get the prose version serially in Pearson's, but we moved around a great deal. I never actually read the last bits. Well, contain your surprise, but... Don't tell me how it ends. We can listen to the rest later, after the experiment. Okay. I enjoyed it, you know. It was a very considerate choice. Thanks. Hey, uh... I've been meaning to ask. Yes? Not that it's the only thing on my mind or anything, but... What is it? And, to be clear, you can say no. It's perfectly fine if you say no. Is that a flashlight? No. It's just a water bottle. Who owns a water bottle that looks like a flashlight? It's not like you to dance around a topic. And you're all but doing the tango right now. What do you wish to ask me? As long as flooding becomes an increased potential issue, would you mind if I kept some boxes up here on high ground? I own some documents I'd rather not see rinsed. You know I no longer live here. I know. Nobody lives here. I'm aware. This is a place I used to live. It doesn't belong to me any more than your previous flat belonged to you. Three months. That's how long I lasted in my last living arrangement. You're saying haunting this place for over a century should give me some sort of retroactive squatter's rights? It isn't as if anyone else has a claim to it. You're not treating me as Dr. Peltham's next of kin, are you? Again, nobody else has laid claim. He was my friend. And he was your friend. He would have been more than happy to lend a spot in this very large building to keep some of your papers dry. I don't see how my feelings enter into it. I thought... You had seen this space empty for so long, it might be somewhat... distressing for you to watch it fall into disuse, relegated to storage, etc. Again, I was vocally in favor when you smashed up the walls with a sledgehammer. I was saying, we could do this again, even if there's no data collection involved. If I allow you to keep some of your things here. If that, yes. That sounds somewhat transactional. Is there another way to do friendship? Abby. That was a joke. Not a good one. But a joke, nonetheless. I think a dictionary would tell you that friendship is a mutual state of enjoying each other's company and caring for each other. Anytime you have to cite the dictionary, we are firmly in the weeds. Do you enjoy my company? I trekked out into the rain for... You trekked out into the rain for aesthetics. Do you enjoy my company? Yes. Do you care for me? You know, I've always found the Socratic method of teaching to be... Do you care for me? Yes. Nora. I do. Then we are friends. And as we are friends, and as you were friends with Dr. Peltham, you may keep your papers here. And as we are friends, we will continue to partake in more radio together. Perhaps we could... A man named Arthur Conan Doyle used to write these curious little stories. I don't know if they made it through to the collective cultural memory, but... Sherlock Holmes? You've heard of them? Have there been any adaptations? <laughs> Does your laughter mean yes or no? We could break it apart by decades, maybe. Or we could watch the one where he's a mouse. Or a revivified corpse. Or a complete jerk. Or a moralistic computer-generated cucumber. Moralistic? Does cucumber still mean the same thing it did when I was alive? Is this some charming modern slang? It is not. The harrowing highs and lows of entering public domain. Does the mouse talk? How do people listen to his deductions? Because they're all mice. They all talk. I think some of them sing. It's also animated. Hmm. It almost sounds as if some liberties have been taken. We can start with one of the human adaptations. I'm willing to rewatch the mice one if you are, but...
but... And you say you don't understand friendship. Thank you. It's not a transaction. We've established that. But you're welcome. So, aliens. Aliens and their possible existence. Even despite the Fermi paradox. Dr. Peltham never covered such a thing. Sorry. Physicists have speculated that if extraterrestrials existed and had any interest in us, they'd have had enough time to reach out by now. Meaning either they are uninterested in us, which our fragile human egos can barely take, or we are as alone as that radio operator in the broadcast, calling out on a doomed transmission to which not a soul is listening. Like one lone person trying to connect to Wi-Fi. Like an echo of a dead woman trying in vain to find someone who will help her rebuild her telescope. Right. I wonder... What? This Fermi paradox. If perhaps aliens have developed and have created a society that can support long-distance communication, if all the terms of your so-called Drake equation have been met and they really do badly wish to communicate, and we simply fail to recognize their attempts. Suppose they are creatures who are fundamentally strange to us. Why would we assume they would transmit a language, a frequency that we can comprehend, Perhaps they communicate via colors, or music, or smells. Smells? Why not? They could lay scent trails. Like ants? Like space aliens. If it's egotism to assume they wish to contact us, is it also egotism of a kind to assume they'd contact us in a way that we can easily understand? Linguocentrism. Something like that. If you're going to get serious about trying to send a message across space, you should stay open-minded for the answer. You know who would have loved this conversation? Yes. And are you saying you don't? No. As for sending messages and receiving something different, prior to lightning rods and grounding buildings, do you know how often 18th century churches used to get struck by lightning? Often enough to be noteworthy? Yes. You create a structure to honor a god, and then that structure fries due to a bolt, as if from the heavens. Hard luck. Are you suggesting those people should have assumed the response they were receiving was their god's displeasure with their churches? Abby. That sounds a great deal like superstition. I feel like you can translate frequent lightning strikes as a sign to stop putting giant steeples on your buildings without bringing any deities into it. Cause, effect, message received. And yet, the zeal to reach out is so great. Despite the tremendous unlikelihood, despite even the risk of immolation, we can't stop looking to the heavens and asking that one simple question. Is there anything else out there? Who am I? That is what it all boils down to, doesn't it? We ask our gods our questions, we tell each other our stories about what those gods did and where we came from, and what we're made of, what our universe is made of. We invent creatures from other planets who must want to visit us, surely. We send a golden record out into the farthest reaches of space, begging them to come find us and say hello. We labor away, building our tools and our telescopes, and at the end of the day, it is because we want to know our place in the universe. It is because we want to know who we are. We want to know. And we still don't. Not even after all this time. Who are we? Who are we? Who are we, Abby? Who are we? Who's that? Nora? Uh... Are you alright? What? Did I do something odd? Don't take this the wrong way, but I mostly forget you're not a person. I discuss my status as an echo all the time. I know, but even as you do, you seem very alive. Thank you. It's the blue jeans.
You care tremendously about the things you care about. Doesn't everyone? Isn't that the very definition of the word care? Years of adolescent bullying would say otherwise. Nora? Hugh? Oh, hey. I brought a battery-operated lantern, in case. Hi, Abby. I also invited myself along for some light data collection. Uh, am I interrupting something? or What? Do you still want me to be here? As I said, we need you to help complete the circuit by observing whatever happens next with Rudy's sense of story, of poetry. Fair. I can only deal in worst-case scenarios. Once more, I'm already dead. What's the worst thing that can happen? Do you want them alphabetically or thematically? Marisol, might I have some support? I... Sorry, Nora, but that particular question in the brain of someone with an anxiety disorder is opening a real can of worms. Can of worms come in cans now? Never mind. So are we starting? In a manner of speaking, I still have a number of adjustments to make. It feels like some young hoodlum snuck in and made a positive hash of the fine controls. Was it Mason and Stacy? Perhaps. Are you familiar? A little. They like to sneak around the store and dare each other to shoplift something. Have you said something to them? Luckily, they never plan ahead, and it's a little hard to hide a square, foot-sized record under a raincoat. I get that I should do something, but I don't know. It's hard being in middle school. Those are rough years. Even for you? What do you mean? You're cool. Thank you. Oh, it wasn't a compliment. It wasn't an insult, either. Just the description. Well, all through middle school, I was the worst runner in the whole class. Everyone else would be completely done with the mile, and they'd have to sit there in the grass and wait for what felt like the longest two minutes in the world, as they all just watched me, huffing and puffing and red-faced. This kid Bobby Angles called me Marty Slow, and somehow that stuck. Nobody older than six who willingly goes by Bobby gets to make name jokes. Where were you when I was in sixth grade? Trying desperately to survive. Perilous yours. To the extent that I encountered my peers, even when I was not outright bullied, I could perceive a distance between us. Even beyond, well, the fact that very few wished to talk about space at all. Uh, what you said before. Your question. About why you... The other question. Are you going to go off again? Did she go off? Yes. Well, surely there is only one way to know. We must replicate the experiment. Who are we? Ah, yes. The question. You two are getting metaphysical up here. My mom's mom is Irish, and she is very into being Irish in the way that only white Americans are. When I was younger, she had this poster of Irish sayings, and one of them was, A friend's eye is a good mirror. Hmm. I wonder if that explains something of my mental state for the years I haunted this place. A century with no mirrors at my disposal. Longer, perhaps. I was solitary in life as well. That is existentially terrifying, to be honest. It grants a lot of power to the observer. Not sure I'm a fan. I used to wonder, especially when my sister and I were failing to get along, which was often, if there's nobody to reflect me, am I some sort of teenage Nosferatu skulking around with no concept of myself? Is Nosferatu charming modern slang, or...? Dracula, right? It's basically Dracula. Ah, I never read that one. It seemed trashy. It is. Loth as I am to admit it, I think there might be something to that saying. To the notion that other people help us see ourselves more clearly. You know, in life, I was sometimes very angry with my parents. 
for the choices they made and where it led us. I grew up feeling so divided, out of step with my peers to the extent I had peers. At the same time, I never made it back to India. I think I was afraid I would feel the same way there as well. An old story, I suppose. I would never have given up the life I had, but it was all so complicated. At the same time, on some level, they saw me, especially my father. And then, you know, a century of nothing. And then Dr. Pautham, and then you, and you, and Wes, and to some extent, Lily. Minor Gail, sometimes. My therapist, you, Wes, and Lily. No offense, Marisol, it's just, you're cool. None taken. Mine are Lily, Maureen, my mom, but only some of the time, my sister, my brother, and Spike some of the time. No offense to either of you. Do they know? Mine do. It mostly hasn't come up. I greatly regret not telling my parents while they were alive. Your family likely knew. It would have been nice to tell them all the same. It puts a weight on people to say you care about them. It makes them feel like they need to say it back, even if they're not your parents, even if they don't care. Out of social conditioning. Yeah, but you've got to take that risk, right? Do I? I mean, you don't have to, but it's more than worth it if they do feel the same. But if the person doesn't... There's only one way to know what will happen, and that is to try. And try before it is too late. Abby, why are you here with me? What do you think are the odds that when you look through that telescope again, the anomaly that killed you and almost killed Rudy will set off another burst of ground-focused electricity and something bad will happen? The odds? You know I can't answer that without inventing some profoundly silly math. You know what I mean. I do. And I don't know. I can't know. But I must know. And the only path forward is to replicate the experiment. Could we do this tomorrow night instead? You haven't even heard the end of War of the Worlds. I could make time tomorrow. War of the Worlds will still be there when this is over, and we've learned all there is to learn. At which point, we can go back to the house and, with luck, find the living room. Maybe it will still be there, after. But what a maybe. Hmm. Do you suppose that if perhaps the operating force which makes this town unlike any other, the one that blooms, what if when the telescope was aimed at Omega Centauri, that creature, that being, this is so inexact. That entity? Continue. Perhaps our entity is looking for something that can see it clearly as well. How would that create a force that murders people? The mirrors of a telescope intensify the light. Perhaps it also intensifies the longing. Do you think a person can die from longing? From enough of it, maybe. Just don't immolate yourself reaching out. Was that another joke? Zero for two today. Is everything adjusted? It is. Well then. Right. I brought my phone in case you want to record a few words first. Do you want to say something? All right. Rolling. July 12th. Nora Tendulkar. Experiment 177A. Second replication. Many thanks to Dr. Peltham for his contributions. Shall we begin? Let's begin. All right. We have our telescope. And we have our sky. 
almost there. When I was really little and I heard about constellations, I pictured these perfectly formed little pictures floating in the night sky like a super detailed connect the dots book. The first time my parents let me stay up late enough and went, hey, look, you know, there's Orion. And I saw that it was really just a handful of points. I was so bummed out. But now I think there's something so beautifully hopeful about it, you know? Multiple different cultures throughout time and space could look up at the night sky and paint themselves a picture. The stars are one of the few resources available to all. They were before light pollution. There we are, Centaurus. Now I just need to focus in on Omega Centauri, complete the loop. Marisol, thank you for coming. It means a great deal to me. Abby? Yes? Uh, just out of, just wondering, how does War of the Worlds end? Find out yourself when the experiment is done. I'll make popcorn. Yes, of course. Very good. Let's see the star cluster Omega Centauri. The ground seems fine so far. Nora? Nora, what's happening? What do you see? It's... Uh... There's nothing. The stars are there, but there's no... It's empty. Nora, talk to us. I... I hoped and hoped. Nora, Nora, listen to me. There are other star clusters, right? There's an entire night sky full of other star clusters. There's a universe of other star clusters. You can find another one. It's empty. I don't know. Nora! Did you get it recorded? Assuming my phone holds up in the rain. What's the lesson here? What's the point? She wanted to know. She wanted to know what's wrong with that. Uh, Abby? Are you talking to God? Or aliens or echoes or something? What the fuck? She still might come back. They've come back before. She might not. She understood the risks. 
Well, what? You want to tell us what the fucking poetry of all that was? You want to paint me a picture with words? Have you got some way to fold it up origami style and turn it into something beautiful? At the moment? No. We should get inside. Even if she reappears here, she'll know to go check the Fenwood. I know. She doesn't even need to monkey around with the doors. She can choose to appear wherever she... Do you need a ride back to the house? I drove. Okay. I'll leave the front door open a little for you. Have you had dinner yet? No. You, me, and Lily can scrounge up something together. Yeah. Abby, I'm really sorry. Ultimately, she would have performed the experiment again with or without your help. You know that's not what I meant. Yeah. She would have done it regardless of what I did or said as well. She was always going to check her work. That's who she is. Or possibly was. Is. Thank you. For what? I'll head out in a few minutes. Meet you there. Okay. Is there anything out there? Are you listening? Fuck you. This episode features Anuja Vetia as Nora, Kathleen Hoyle as Abby, Amelia Bethel as Marisol. Written by Jessica Best. Sound design by Jeffrey Nils Gardner. Director, Lauren Grace Thompson. Music composed by Stephen Poon. Recording engineer, Mel Ruder. Associate producer, Ani Engdahl. Unwell lead sound designer, Eli Hamada McElveen. Producer, Haiti Souffrant. Executive producers, Eleanor Hyde and Jeffrey Nils Gardner. By Heartlife NFP. And a huge thank you to our supporting producers from Patreon. Alexi Feller, Megan McLean, Adam Goodman, Nick Keenan, Caitlin White, Calico Davis, and Steve Diamond. Heartlife wishes to acknowledge that the land where we live, work, and tell our stories is occupied land. Unwell takes place in southern Ohio, which is the territory of the Miami people. Unwell is produced in Chicago, Illinois, which is the territory of the Peoria, the Potawatomi, and the Miami peoples.
the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. In the alley, the scent is stronger, overpowering. As I watch, the overhead lamps flicker and wink out one by one. God damn it. No. The girl appears briefly under the last streetlight, the headphones snug against her ears, the Walkman clasped to her hip. She's oblivious as she walks, lost in her own world. Hey, stop! I need to talk to you! Then she's swallowed up by the darkness again. Helen, wait a second! It strikes her in the gloom so fast she barely has time to scream. She falls into the edge of the lamplight and lies there, bleeding, motionless. The man's skin is scaly, flaking, and there are patches of soot on his cheeks. He stares at me with eyes like midnight. Eyes that are devoid of remorse, devoid of humanity. He's one of them. I turn and run, and I don't look back. The Road of Shadows, a new mystery and suspense audio drama by Mark R. Healy, creator of The Strata. Listen now at theroadofshadows.com. Thank you.